It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. So we had a couple of our listeners ask us to do an episode on the topic of Roman Catholicism, which is what we decided to do today. So we're all really excited about the opportunity to discuss this. Uh, So in preparation for the show, what the three of us did is we came up with a series of questions that we thought are probably the more common questions that both Catholics ask and um, Bible believers, uh, Christians ask about Roman Catholicism. So hopefully some of your questions that you may have, we've captured and we'll talk through today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, we're going to really be looking at some of the different beliefs, traditions, and practices of the Roman Catholic Church today, and kind of see where did they come from, and if they are biblical or not. So why don't we just kind of go through our list of questions one at a time and just see what, what answers we have. So Cheryl, do you want to read the first question for us? Sure. We would like to explain the difference between the biblical Mary and the Mary of the Roman Catholic Church, such as, was she a perpetual virgin? Did she ascend in heaven, body, and soul? Is she our co-mediatrix? I don't even know what that word is. (laughs) (laughs) Did Mary need to be redeemed from her sin by the atoning work of her son, Jesus? So let's dive into that. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Part it's like um, part one. I know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because this is a yeah, this is like a, a hot topic question. You know, we know that unlike other Christian denominations, we see that the Roman Catholic Church really um, brings Mary into into their doctrine, right? Yeah. It's funny when we were all coming up with our questions, we were all focused on Mary. Like, what's up with Mary? You know, (laughs) right. And it's really interesting because I think all of us grew up Catholic, right? I mean, we all have Catholic upbringings to some degree. Um, To some degree. You were Catholic and Jewish, right? So you have that Catholic. Well, I have, um, I wasn't cat. I wasn't that religion. I was no religion, but I do. My mom's Catholic. Her family's Catholic. So yes, I, and my sister's Catholic. So I, I only know, yeah, from, I know little bits and pieces. I never really studied it, but I do. Yeah. But you had it in your family. Like you yeah, were familiar yes. with some of the. Familiar. Yeah. I'm familiar with some of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This question, you know, what is the difference between biblical Mary and the Mary of the Roman Catholic church? I mean, I think it's a really important question. So I'm sure most of us know that the claim is that she was a perpetual virgin, right? I mean, you guys have heard that. Yeah, but she had so many other kids, though. So she can't right. be. She couldn't have been. Right, exactly. And, that, and that's so we're going to debunk this with the Bible. And, and let's just say this that the Roman Catholic Church does not believe that the Bible, the scriptures, are the final authority. So this is where it kind of differs from evangelical Christianity. Roman Catholics, they have what's called the Roman Catholic Catechism, which is over a thousand pages long. That, those are the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. That's what they follow and that's what they practice. And within those doctrines, you're going to see a blending of uh, Christianized pagan beliefs, right? But that's what they follow. And their final authority ultimately is the Pope. He, he's infallible, according to the Roman catechism. And he, the popes receive, according to them, extra biblical revelation. So they have the authority to add to scripture or alter scripture if they claim that they've received new revelation from God. So the idea that the Bible is complete, it's been preserved, and it's final, that is not what a true Roman Catholic believes. Now, that does not mean that there aren't Roman Catholics out there who think otherwise. Good for them. Keep reading your Bible. But I just need to be uh, clear that what we're going to read now 
is going to contradict a lot of what the claims of the Roman Catholic Church state, but that's why. Because if you go in the catechism, it's going to say that, she, that Mary was a perpetual virgin, but the Bible says otherwise. So now a Catholic has a decision to make. Who do they want to trust? And that's an individual choice. Okay. But wait, show, um, perpetual virgin is still a different topic than virgin when, you know, when she was carrying Jesus, right? So. Right. So that, let's just make sure we address both. <laughs> yeah, so where Roman Catholicism agrees with the Bible is they also agree that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. That is biblical, and they do acknowledge that. And they do acknowledge that the seed that she, um, that was, that, that she had was from the Holy Spirit, and that that... They call it the immaculate conception is what that, that word is never mentioned in the Bible, but they call that the immaculate conception, which is basically the fact that Mary was a virgin when she conceived by the Holy spirit, uh, baby Jesus. Right. And then she got married to Joseph and then had other kids. So she wasn't perpetual. Right. right. So, so to Cheryl's point, she was not perpetual. She was a virgin at the time of Jesus's conception, but then she had other kids. Yeah. So Michelle, can we, can I ask you to read a verse for us so mm -hmm. that we can show the scriptures? I pulled verse Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56. It says, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters lived right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? So Thank we had you, brothers Michelle. and sisters. Okay, so we see there, and then, you know, Mark 6, 3, which we're not going to read, but if someone wants to look that up on their own, we see in the Bible that he clearly had other siblings, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's look to the next one. Did she ascend to heaven, body, and soul? Again, that, that is written in the Catholic Catechism, but that is not found in Scripture. According to Scripture, right. Mary died just like everyone else. So she was never assumed into heaven. I think they call that the assumption of Mary, where they believe that she assumed, she was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. And that is not in the Bible. Is, mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to keep going guys. And if you want to interrupt me, just, just jump in. Uh, it says, is she our co-mediatrix? So this is a belief in the Roman Catholic Church that Mary is our co-mediatrix, which basically means that just like Jesus is our mediator between God and man, they believe that Mary also shares that same role, that she is also someone who can mediate between God and man, which is why a Roman Catholic doesn't see a problem praying to Mary or asking Mary, oh, holy mother, and then they'll, you know, uh, or the, uh, you know, what is it? Um, hey, the Hail Mary prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. You know, like prayers to Mary and prayers to God through Mary is something they practice because of this belief. Now that, again, is not biblical. If we, if we look at 1 Timothy 2.5. Um, I'm going to read it, 1 Timothy 1. Yeah, if, you, if you have it. Michelle, 1 Timothy 2 5. Okay. 1 right. Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Yep. Okay. Again, New Living Translation. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus, at Christ Jesus. Thank you. Well, thanks, Michelle. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that according to scripture, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Again, I believe that this is written in the catechism, and that's why they practice that. Okay, is Mary sinless? So this is another claim. Is she sinless, or did she need to be redeemed from her sin by the atoning work of her son, Jesus? Does anybody want to take a guess at that? Yes, she had. She's a sinner. She was born into sin. Yes, everybody in the world. Everyone's a sinner, sin. right? Everyone. Everyone right. was born. 
into sin. Yep. Right. So, Michelle, why don't you read Luke 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, and and then let's take a look at what Mary says to her own son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Let me get over here. Okay. So, it says here, 46. It says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Thank you. So right here, yeah, I mean, we see Mary calling her own son her Savior. If she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. Okay, so I mean, just by going through some of this, we see that a lot of the claims of the Mary of Roman Catholicism differ from the biblical Mary. And we explain why that is. And so for a Roman Catholic who might be listening to this episode, again, it just comes down to, for you, what, what do you believe is your final authority? If you believe the Bible, the scriptures are your final authority, then you're going to believe something different. If you believe that the Pope and the Catholic Catechism are your final authority, then you're probably going to believe the claims of the Roman Catholic Church. The other thing I thought I would also share here as it relates to Mary is, you know, where did this come from within the Roman Catholic church? And going back to what we said earlier about how they Christianize a lot of these pagan beliefs and pagan gods. um, We see that the Mary of Roman Catholicism, it was the worship of Isis back then that they just put like a Christian face on. And it's interesting because when you look at, the way the pagans used to refer to Isis, they called her the queen of heaven. They called her the mother of God and they called her the divine one. And these are all the same titles that the Catholics give to the Mary of Roman Catholicism. And I pulled a verse from the Bible because I thought this was really interesting. Um, Jeremiah chapter seven And I'll read it. I just have to find it. Hang on. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 17 through 19. God actually even mentions the queen of heaven here in the Bible. Because remember, at this time, paganism was rampant, you know? So we do see some of this mentioned in the scriptures. Okay, Jeremiah 7 verses 17 through 19, it says, so this is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. God says to him, don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? And he's talking about the people of Israel. They were, um, they were practicing idolatry and they were moving towards the um, practice of paganism and God was getting really mad at them. So God's saying to Jeremiah, don't you see what they that the Israelites are doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. No wonder I am so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires because they used to make sacrifices to these pagan gods. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. So that's a, that's a reference to this uh, ISIS and they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods. Am I the am I the one they are hurting? asked the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So I just wanted to offer that information. Um yeah, this is I all great. Really I would say it's all great, you know, like you're really um reading great scripture and everything, but you're right. It, it's basically it's, it's you can have them, you know, the Catholics listen to this and they're still going to use the catechism as their final authority or that they're not going to, they, they, their excuses. Cause I, I spoke to my sister who's a practicing Catholic and I, I told her about the Bible and I told her scripture and I showed it to her and her with the, her, well, she's led by a monk, not a priest. He used to be a priest. You know, he tells everybody that and this is what the priests are telling the people is that oh no that bible it's just like the game of telephone it's been a story that was man-made and 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 the story has changed as 
it, it keeps, you know, as the years go by, it changes just like the game telephone. That's what he told her. So they don't, they will, yeah, that's what the priests are like. They're almost brainwashing people. So yeah, it's like God has to take the veil off of these people. So, so how is the catechism it. different than that? Isn't that man-made? Like, uh, it, it, but yeah, but the Catholic catechism is man-made too. So like, what's the difference? The Catholic Catechism is a recording of the practices and doctrines and beliefs of the Catholic Church. It's not oh, right. It's more of a like procedural document, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not exactly. It, it's mm-hmm. their explanation of what mm-hmm. everything means, and it, right. and what they did is they took aspects of the Bible, mostly from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the 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 apostle Peter and what he was preaching to the nation of Israel during Jesus's earthly ministry. That's what most of what they take is from. And then they'll blend in pagan practices and put a Christianized flair on it. And we're going to go through it and I'll show you that. Um, So that's what the catechism is. It's not scripture, but I think what Michelle is saying, and, and you're right, Michelle is and again, this is a personal decision for everyone. And we're not right. saying that a person can't make a free will decision to be a Catholic. I think all we're trying to do on this episode is if a person chooses to be a Roman Catholic, then it's good to be aware of what your religion is teaching, right? Because a lot of Roman Catholics don't read the Bible on their own. And so they may not be aware of what's in the scriptures. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody has their free will choice to make whatever choice they want. And, and we respect their free will. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than, than all, all the Christians I know that don't know their Bible at all either. And they don't even know they, they claim to be Christian, but yet don't stand for Christian values or beliefs. It's, it's the same thing, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, but I have no, we never opened a Bible. We you know, we never, I, even this catechism, it's like, all right, yeah, I, I think I learned parts of it, but we didn't focus on it at all, right? Mm-hmm. You're I right, think. Cheryl, and, and yeah. that's really the point. It's not to say that, oh, a Roman Catholic doesn't read their Bible, but like an evangelical Christian does. I mean, right, a, yeah, right, no. a lot I, of- I didn't, I didn't read the Bible yeah. before. I, I think yeah, we I just be- grew up with, you know, the good deeds thing, like just be a good person, mm-hmm. right? Like that was our yep. mission. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, now that I've read the entire Bible, I can attest that in my Roman Catholic days, we only looked at a few chapters, and that's it. Yeah, you know, like the Gospels, yep. you know, or Corinthians. That's it. Like I, there was no such thing as the rest of the Bible. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> and I agree with you. I mean, I grew up in a family that was Roman Catholic. They even put me in a. Um, private Catholic high school. I had to take Catholic religion classes while I was in high school, never knew the gospel, knew nothing, very little, if anything about Jesus. And it was pretty much a lot of, a lot of catechism was taught, you know, uh, a even lot the, about even the family, like it was Mary, Joseph and Jesus. That was it. Like there were no brothers and sisters and other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And we never read the Bible and never read the Bible. My, my family, I don't even think my family owned a Bible. Right. And they had, no. I remember catechism class. You had to take the catechism, catechism class. class right? You had to take that in order to get, uh, you could take communion if, yeah. you, if you graduated, if you graduated the class. You're but, right. But it was, it was all about memorization. That's all I remember mm-hmm. about it. It was about reciting, you know, a prayer or memorizing, you know, a, a paragraph, but it meant nothing. It was just about know this, right? (laughs) And that was it. And it left my brain, you know, the second I quote unquote graduated. Right. I'm sure all of us on this call could recite the Hail Mary and the the Apostles Creed, right? Like it's burned into our memory, but you're right, Cheryl. It's like, what's like we said those words, but it really didn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So should we go to the next question? Someone want to yeah. read another question? We don't even have to go in order. I mean, we just, right. Michelle, why don't you pick a question? I'm going to pick my question. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All right. Can, can a Christian 
fully understand the gospel message, right? Fully have a relationship with the Lord, right? But wants to attend a Roman Catholic church because they feel that it's, um, it, it like fills them. It, it's, it's more, it's cause they go to the, they go to, they, well, the, they've been exposed to certain Christian churches that are very watered down, very um, just, I don't know, just yeah, watered down is the word. And, uh, but they feel when they go to a Roman Catholic church, they just feel like it's, it's, it's filling them. And, uh, but now is that, can they, can they attend a Roman Catholic church, even though they are a Christian? It's a good question. Do you want to take a, a stab at your own answer or? Well, I mean, I look at my sister, okay? And she doesn't know uh, Christian church because she's, I don't think she's ever really been to one. But I, I look at her and, and, you know, by giving her the gospel message and, and, and talking to her about, um, you know, things that I've learned in the Bible and me trying to share it with her, um, she doesn't want to leave the Catholic church because it's something that, she, you know, she feels connected to. That's one example. Then I have a good friend of mine who's same thing. She's Christian, but she was brought up Catholic. So she went back to the Catholic church after the war, you know, the questions around her. So I don't know. I mean, for me, I, I would be like, as long as you know how to filter, I guess, if you know how to filter, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I think you're going to, you're going to tell me I'm wrong. I think you, they're, you're going to say they shouldn't. <laughs> you're you're going to say you, you, they shouldn't <laughs> go near it. But because I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like if, if it, if it's filling you spiritually and you're, you do know, like when the, the priest, you know, does whatever says what he says. And if something doesn't sit right with you, then know the difference, I guess. And it shouldn't be harmful, but I think, I don't know if that's right or not. <laughs> so go ahead. What do you think? Here's how I would answer this, right? Because <laughs> when we, when we look at, can't it's almost like within this question i hear another question which is you know mm -hmm. can a catholic truly be saved right that's a very common question people always ask well does that I mean i think it's on this list too i think it's on is it? questions yeah like okay yeah because one of mine was you know roman catholics do believe in jesus so mm. are they saved? okay so we'll kind of answer both of these things yeah. together okay mm -hmm. so the answer to that question is are there some Roman Catholics who really are saved? The answer is yes. And, and why? Why do I say that? Because the gospel is recognize you're a sinner, trust the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as atonement for your sin alone. You're not adding works to that. You're just, you're trusting in the finished work of Christ alone, that you trust that that was enough, that was sufficient in God's eyes, to atone for your sin. You don't need to bring anything else to the table to make yourself in right standing with God. If a Catholic right. understands that, and if a Catholic truly believes that in their heart, mm. they're saved. Now, to answer your question, Michelle, mm. a truly saved Roman Catholic, which according to the Bible means that they've received the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1. At the moment you believe you receive the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not even just Roman Catholicism. It could be Seventh-day Adventist, right? It could, you know, it could be um, Jehovah Witnesses, right? Can there be a handful of people who are saved in those, in those denominations? Sure, if they trust the death, burial, and resurrection alone as atonement for their sin. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will work in that person and gradually will lead them to the Bible and will gradually open their eyes and some that might happen faster for than others. But if they stay in their word and they keep reading the scriptures, but what all if they do, will, all right, but, but what if they do, but they, they, they're interpreting it a little bit different like that again with my friend, she's in the Bible, like every day she's in the Bible every day. And she knows her word. She, she does. But I think she is, she misinterprets some of the things that she's reading. Some of the scripture she's misinterpreted. Like she doesn't rightly divide it. So, but yeah, I still believe that she's saved because she still yeah. she does believe in the finish, uh, but it's just that she's not really rightly dividing the Bible. So there are things in there that are, um, 
you know, she's very like, you know, you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, you can, you can, you can, you, you could lose your salvation. Like she would say stuff like that, where she kind of, you know, would say that, well, why does it say that then? She's like, it says, you know, so she's not reading it in context, I, I guess. Yeah. I think that comes with spiritual growth, Michelle. And the more she seeks to know the Lord and to, to know the word, God will sort that out. Now I would say to someone out there, you know, it's really about seeking the truth of God and seeking Christ, not seeking after a man. So be careful if it's like, well, my priest tells me this, so therefore he's right. Because then that's like giving more authority to him rather than the scriptures. And does a person have a choice to do that? Yes, they do. But a person who is saved, which is really what we're asking here, who have, they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit will lead them into, you know, the truth eventually as they continue to seek God in, in prayer and say, Lord, is what my priest is what my priest is telling me is this true is this is this what you say in your scriptures but again they have to make the scriptures their final authority if they're making the pope their final authority then that 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 transformation isn't going to happen for them and they have to be careful because if a person believes their works are either saving them or keeping them saved then they're trusting a different gospel right our good works don't save us and they don't keep us saved. Mm -hmm. So There's what do you do with a person that believes both? You know, which is of course, like there may be a little cognitive dissonance going on there, but you know, my mother, for example, sure. She believes in Jesus and that he died for our sins, but she also believes that she has to do good things to kind of get, get in the front of the line and at, at heaven's gate so what do you do with someone like that well again it, it really depends <laughs> on how your mom what your mom is really believing about that if she's like hey i, I just want to do good works because i'm saved by god's grace and his love and grace is working in me and so i joyfully do these things great because the bible says we're saved unto good works that's a completely different understanding than a person who is saying, I have to do good works. See, the mm -hmm. law says I have to, grace says I want to. So when a person is doing something because they feel they have to, I have to do this so that I get in God's good grace, they're now in the law. They're now under the law. Yeah, yeah. Right? And on earth, we call that codependence, right? Well, yeah, I'm just saying from going against to please, to please others. Right. So, and, and I do believe that's what's going on with her. I'm just. Listening. Yeah. And God, and God doesn't need our good works. He, he needs us to trust the finished work of his son. And if your mom does trust that she's a sinner and, and God died for her sins and rose again, and, and that's sufficient in God's eyes to atone for her. And that's it. She doesn't need to get baptized. She doesn't need to keep the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. She doesn't have to go to Mass and get the Eucharist every week because unless she does, her sins aren't forgiven, which is what we'll get into the Eucharist in a minute. But yeah, so like, it's, but yeah, she believes both, right? She believes both things. She had, you know, Jesus, but also I have to go to church or else. Yeah. Okay. So here's what the Bible says. And again, this is where like your mom has to work this out in her own heart between her and God, right? Because right. none of us are going to know her heart, but what she, I would say she would want to look at because the Bible says we should examine ourselves. So I don't think there's anything wrong with us examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I mean, she can examine her, herself and say, well, am I really trusting the finished work of God? Or am I feeling like I have to add to that? And if your mom feels like if I don't go to church, then I'm going to hell. Now she's making it workspace. Now, now right. she's saying, God, if I don't show up on Sunday uh, and I don't add to what Jesus did for me, then you're going to send me to hell, which if that's what she's really believing in her heart, then I would say she needs to go back to the cross. She needs to go back to the gospel and examine where is your faith? Is your faith in what you do? Even if it's a little bit of what you do, it's still in you. Or is it a hundred percent, you know, it's, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah. Cause then it goes back to, you know, my, my salvation could be taken away at any time if I don't mm -hmm. keep doing this or that. You're right. 
Cheryl, and, they, and the Catholics like to use two verses, are very common. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, mm -hmm. which means that we are to, um, because of our salvation, we are to walk worthy of our salvation. That's what that verse means. It doesn't mean work out your salvation, meaning keep your salvation. That's not what that means. It means work it out, like show it out, like, uh, now that you are saved, walk as though you are, <laughs> right? Live as though you are to work it out with fear and trembling, meaning with respect, with respect for the call that God has called those in Christ unto, we're called unto good works, and we are to live as the ambassadors of Christ. So you're doing it because you want to, not because you have to. God said, I'm giving you salvation. You are saved. So now act like it, you know? Yeah, it, 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 from a humanistic perspective, it's just about agenda. It's just about motivation. You know, why are you doing what you do? Exactly, exactly. And then they'll use the, the verse in James that says, um, um, faith without works is dead. So they go, CCC, you're going to lose your faith. You're going to lose your salvation if you don't have works. But what they don't read is the very first sentence of James that says that this is written unto the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad. Yeah. And you know, they use this a lot in the churches too, to get you to serve, you know, it's like they want you to serve. So they do this big push and they put a lot of guilt on you and, and then people wind up serving for the wrong reasons. And now I did, I served for the wrong reasons. I was doing it because I wanted to, I wanted to be in the inn you know, in the in crowd with the, you know, and I wanted to impress my, my leader, you know, and I wanted to make sure that like, the pastor saw that I was serving, make sure that they know here I am, I'm here, I'm, ser I'm serving, you know, like I, I look at the sacrifices I'm making. It was all for me, not, not for God. And then when I realized that when it switched, you know, I guess the Lord, you know, I guess you could say that this is where, you know, yeah, he, he showed me that I'm there to serve him. And when I had that attitude, it was, it was definitely different. But I mean, the Bible does say that we're saved unto good work. So a Christian is not saying like, oh, keep living in sin. You know, the Bible says that, that grace leadeth to repentance. So when a person receives the grace and love of God and allows it to work in them and through them, repentance is a natural fruit. It's it, it just what happens. It's just, it, just like the fruit of the spirit is made manifest right? Love, joy, patience, self-control, all these things. Did they just naturally, they're just there when a person allows the grace and love of God to work in them and through them. Why don't we jump to the question on the Eucharist? Michelle, do you want to read that question for us? Because this is, this is the big one. It's the big, the big, um, Elephant in the room. Let's see. Elephant it says yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two on our list. Oh, it's number two. I went. I was all the way down. <laughs> Can you explain the Eucharist and what the Catechism says about it? Is it biblical? Okay. Okay. So, to start with a response for this question, I would say that when we look at the Roman Catholic rite of the Holy Communion, because they refer to it either as communion, Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist, we see that this parallels pre-Christian, Greco-Roman, and Egyptian pagan rituals that involved eating the body and blood of a god. This is known as transubstantiation, which that word you will find in the Catholic Catechism. The, the Catholic Catechism states that the Eucharist is transubstantiation, which is the same thing that was happening during these pagan rituals pre-Christian times, right? This was a practice that was practiced by the mystery religions for example, Mithraism, the worship of Mithra was very popular back at this time. And so Mithraism was one of these mystery religions where they practiced the sacrificial eating of their God, where they would transubstantiate um, something into the literal body and blood of their God. And that is what is happening during the mass with the Holy Youth uh, Communion or Eucharist. 
Now, um, so we see that this is an example of a pagan practice that was blended in with Christianity, like we talked about earlier. This would be an example of that. When we look at the catechism, because I went to the catechism, which anybody, any Roman Catholic and even any Christian who doesn't know this, who should know this, uh, you could download a free PDF online of the cat catechism. So anyone can look this up. If you do that and you download the free PDF of their Catholic catechism, you turn to section 1367, which on the PDF will be page 702. So section 1367 of the catechism reads, and this is talking about the Eucharist. It says the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And, si and since in this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody sacrifice on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. This sacrifice is truly propitiatory. So that's from the catechism. What this means is that they are through the mass, through the priests, they are re-offering Jesus's sacrifice as a sacrifice. They're re-offering Jesus. They're re-sacrificing him again and again, again and again, day after day. Every time a mass is performed in what they're calling an unbloody sacrifice. And they're saying that this is truly propitiatory, meaning, and this provides for the forgiveness of your sins. So is that biblical? No. Why? Because if we look at what the Bible says, we see if we turn to Hebrews 10, and I'll read this. So Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says, I'm going to start in verse 11, chapter 10. Under the old covenant, remember we talked about Peter being the apostle that the Roman Catholics follow. Okay. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, which is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So what the Catholics are doing is they're mimicking the, what was under the old covenant where the priest would stand on the altar and they would offer animal sacrifices again and again and again and again for the remission of sin. So they're taking that and they're also taking the transubstantiation ritual from these mystery religions and they're kind of combining it, both of those practices into the, the mass, using the Eucharist as the, the thing, this wafer that they believe literally transubstantiates. So under the Roman Catholic catechism, they don't believe it's symbolic. And they state that in their catechism. It is the literal transubstantiation of Jesus's flesh and blood. But does any, does anyone actually believe that? Again, we, we just recite words, but we don't know anything. So I don't be, know any Roman Catholic who actually thinks that that's true. You know okay, what I mean? But that's what they're receiving and that's what they're sitting under. And that's right. What, I'm just saying that the followers. I don't know. I mean, don't I mean, know I don't, that that's true. I don't think that there aren't any Catholics that don't believe that. My father believed this. My mother believed this. Really? My mother really isn't a Catholic anymore, but my father, I mean, he, he could have pretty much recited this for you. So, so, yes, so what does that look like to, like, to your father? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I believe, well, here's what he believed, and he'll tell you this. Here's what he yeah. believed. Belie he did not believe that 
faith in the gospel, the finished work of Christ forgave his sins. He did not believe that. He believed that he needed to go every Sunday to receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus is what he would say. And he firmly believed this. If he did not do that, his sins were not forgiven. Because mm -hmm. you see where it says in the catechism, hit this sacrifice, meaning the sacrifice of the mass, is truly propitiatory. So they teach that if you do not receive that Eucharist, your sins are not forgiven. No, I, I get that part, but where's well, the, the that that That's little wafer is actually yeah. Jesus? You know what I mean? I, I and my father, my father did yeah. believe it was the flesh of Jesus. Right. A lot of people yes. believe that too. And I remember as a, a little kid, I, 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 I get the ritual. No, they, no, they, really they believe, believe it's the, the literal, the Eucharist. Like, my father, remember I told you he used to have the keys to the back of the church? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. They had on display a Eucharist that he would bow before and pray to because he believed and all the other Catholics that were there with him believed that that was the literal flesh of Jesus. So it wasn't mm -hmm. symbolic. It was, it literal. was not symbolic. It was literally the, the flesh. And that, I, I mean, remember that's wanting weird. to throw up. <laughs> I wanted to, I, when I was a kid, I literally wanted to throw up because that's what they, they taught. They said, I remember going to church with my sister because she became Catholic. And I remember that. I remember them saying, this is Jesus's body. His yes. real body. And I remember going, like, and they really treat like, it as such. It, you know, oh. They treat it as, as holy. And so it is a form of idolatry. By them doing that, it is a form of idolatry. If we're just thinking specifically to, to Roman Catholic, like what, what is the Eucharist according to their doctrine? Whether or not a Catholic reads it, knows it, understands it, was ever told it, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of Catholics that do know it. Like I said, most of my family did believe that the Eucharist was the literal flesh of Jesus. They, they thought that they had to receive it for the forgiveness of sins. And we can see how that flies in the face of the gospel. And if a person is believing that, then they're not saved. So that would be, that would be an area where if there's a Catholic listening to this who believes that, then they, they would have to really examine that. If, if, if they truly wish to follow Christ and they truly wish to be saved and they truly believe that Jesus died and rose again for their sins, then they've got to look at that. Because believing that a wafer taken every Sunday forgives your sins, I mean, that's just not true, right? Um, let me just read one more verse here in Hebrews 9, 24 and 26. It says, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. That's where he becomes the mediator. Mary is not the mediator. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. So what, what the Catholics are doing in the mass is they're doing an unbloody sacrifice, re-sacrificing Jesus again and again. And it's saying here, and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most, most high place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would not have had to, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. So again, do we, is, is a person going to trust the scriptures or are they going to trust the priest and the pope? That's a decision they have to make for themselves. But the Eucharist is a, a blending of old covenant biblical doctrine together with pre-Christian Greco-Roman and Egyptian pagan rituals called transubstantiation. So that's, that's the, the revealing of the truth of that. Um, and, you know, what ties in with this, too, is this belief of confession, right? This is a big one in the Catholic Church. We need to confess mm. our sins to the priest. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I think just in what I just read alone, one can see that that's not biblical, right? Um, our sins are forgiven. We're washed clean by the finished work of Christ, according to the gospel. And that gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where Paul shares that. So it's not Peter. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And this idea of we need to confess our sins so that our sins can be forgiven, they're taking that out of context 
Uh, I think they're using James 5.16 and 1 John 1.9, but again, out of context. Um, confessing someone's sins to a priest does nothing to wash them clean. But again, this is, this is where a person has to say, am I going to trust what the, what the Bible says, or am I going to trust the traditions of men outlined in the catechism? And that's a personal choice. I think the, the challenge is a lot of Catholics just don't read the catechism, so they don't really know what's happening. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, that's what's going on. I mean, you know, I certainly never knew what it was really trying to tell me. Yeah, and I didn't either. <laughs> I definitely didn't either. And again, uh, it, you know, and maybe my whole life, I, no matter what religion I was under, which happened to be Roman Catholicism, but I always kind of took it all with a grain of salt. Like I never really thought that any of it, any of it was, you know, fact. I just thought it was a way of being or a way of living yeah. or a way of thinking. So, you know, you could take, I could go to a church right now. Like my, you know, my parents are Catholic. I can go to church with them. You know, we haven't gone because of COVID, but they would be going every Saturday night if it weren't for COVID. And uh, I could go with them. And I could sit there and just, you know, sit there with my own thoughts and my own meditation or whatever. I don't give a crap what the priest is actually. I mean, he might give a good sermon and give a good human lesson. That's fine. But I don't give a crap about the rest of the rituals, you know. Yeah, and I think this becomes important for those who want to be believers or who think that they're believers and who believe in heaven and hell. This becomes important. You know, this becomes important for the Roman Catholic who wonders if they're saved because most Catholics, if you ask them, do you know if you're going to heaven? They'll say, I don't know. And nobody can know. Well, why? Because they're trusting their own works, which is why that's their answer because they don't know. They, you know, they, they well, don't, have they don't know, but yet they also kind of believe, I think I had it in one of my questions, which is, you know, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell and that's it. So do they know for a fact if they're going? No because good and bad is a relative term, right? But, but we all kind of act like, you know, every time someone passes away, we'll be like, oh, now you're in heaven. I mean, right, sure. we don't know for a fact, but we just want to believe they are, you know? <laughs> right. And so this becomes important for people who believe in heaven and hell, right? If a person doesn't believe heaven and hell exists, then like all of this probably is not important to them. Right. Um, but for those who recognize that these are real places in, in, in an afterlife, right? Then, you know, for a Catholic to grapple for themselves with, wow, what happens when I die? Like, I'm, am I really going to go to heaven? Like, do they even believe in heaven and hell? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of Catholics who probably go to church and they don't believe in heaven and hell, right? But for those who are sitting there going, I, can I know if I'm saved? The answer from the Bible is yes. The Bible says that we can have and should have assurance of our salvation, Paul says. That's the helmet of salvation that's talked about in Ephesians 6 as part of this, the armor of God. So when we are trusting what Christ did alone for us, we have self, uh, assurance of salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. Why? I know I'm saved. Why? Because I'm trusting the finished work of Christ. If I was trusting myself, I would have zero assurance of salvation. If I had to trust my good works to get me to heaven, I'd go to hell. We'd all, we all would. We'd all fall short of God's glory. So that right there can tell a Catholic whether or not they're trusting in the, the gospel of grace or not. Because if they're trusting in the gospel of grace, trusting that it's a free gift, it's, it's the gift of God, his grace through faith alone in the finished work of Christ, then, then you'll have salvation. You'll have assurance of salvation. If you're trusting in how many times you're getting the Eucharist every week, how often you're going to church, whether or not you confessed every single sin to your priest before you died. If you're trusting, uh, did I get all the seven sacraments, which is part of Mithraism, by the way, the seven sac, the, the sacraments in the Catholic church comes from Mithraism. Um, but if they're trusting in all of that, rather than the finished work of Christ, you're going to have zero assurance of salvation. Yeah, because then it becomes, did I, you know, did I miss anything? Did I get everything right? 
It's exactly it. So that's a good way for a Catholic to tune into what they're really believing. Right. Do you have assurance of salvation? If the answer is no, then you're not, then right there, that's a clue that you're not right. fully trusting in the finished work of Christ and, and you're trusting in a different gospel. Yeah. So Cheryl, I just want to kind of reemphasize your question about Roman Catholics believing that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. I would agree with that. I think that tends to be the, the belief. Yeah. Which is what we call a works-based. Which is right. It's in line with do good things and you go to heaven, do bad things, you go to hell. Right. So. Right. And again, that contradicts scripture because the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. So you know, if I helped, I, I guarantee my mother thinks, you know, if I help someone or if I pick up, you know, their slack, I'm going to heaven. Like she absolutely right. thinks that, you know, <laughs> that's exactly it. And, and that's a works-based religion. And that you see that in Judaism, you see that in um, Islam, you see that in Roman Catholicism, and I'm sure a bunch of other, you know, the Church of God, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, the Hebrew Roots Movement, uh, all of that mm. is works-based. Uh, Freemasonry, works-based. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Again, these are for people who really want salvation, who see a need for salvation, because in order for salvation to be meaningful to anybody, they have to first recognize their problem. You know, the, the word salvation, to be saved, means you have to be saved from something, right? If, if, if I... If my, if my husband's drowning in an ocean and I come by with a lifeboat and I go, hey, babe, grab my hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you into this lifeboat. But he goes, I'm not drowning. Everything's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem. He's going to go, move on, Steph. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need that lifeboat because he doesn't perceive, he doesn't realize he's drowning. So in order for salvation right. or Christ to be meaningful to anyone, they've got to recognize their problem, that they're drowning in sin and that, that they have a sin problem. Without that understanding the bible calls it learning the lesson of the law until a person learns the lesson of the law salvation it doesn't make any sense it's it's, it's unnecessary so um so this is important for people who are at that place who have learned the lesson of the law who recognize their need for salvation and and want salvation according to scripture that's why that's the audience that this all will be important to yeah um, yeah. Otherwise it doesn't make sense. Like the way it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Right. And, and even a Catholic, if a Catholic's like, nope, nope, nope. The Bible's not my final authority. The Pope said this, so I'm going to go with him. I don't really care what Matthew 15, five says, right. Okay. Then that's their choice. Then that's where they're putting their trust, their faith. Um, okay. I'm just looking at our list of questions. I think we pretty much got all of them. Um, we had a question here about, does a Catholic person think the Pope is the final authority? True Catholics would say yes. Right, Michelle? Yeah, I think we, had, we addressed that, I think, in the, the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah we I wanted. That. I pulled yeah. two quotes. I, I wanted to read this, and then we could probably make this the last question. But I pulled two quotes from popes of the past that show how these popes look at themselves as God on earth, right? So this is a quote from Pope Pius IX. He says, I alone, despite my unworthiness, am the successor of the apostles. And again, that would be Peter, the vicar of Jesus Christ. I alone have the mission to guide and direct, direct the, the bark quest, which I don't really know what that means, of Peter. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. They who that are sounds with, familiar. They Sorry, who are with me are with the church, meaning the Roman church, Catholic church. They who are not with me are out of the church. So here we have Pope Pius IX calling himself the way, the truth, and the life. So he's basically saying, I am Christ. I mean, this is how they, they see themselves, which is why a true Roman Catholic who, who understands the doctrines of Roman Catholicism will see the Pope as this, because this is what they're taught. Uh, Pope Boniface VIII said, since the church is one, since the church is necessary for salvation, and since Christ appointed Peter to lead it, so that's red flag number one, it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. 
I mean, so they're basically saying if you're not subject to the Pope, you're not saved. I mean, that's, so I just found that really interesting when I read that. I was like, wow, yeah, <laughs> that is interesting. Okay, guys. Um, and I, and we, we had something about the saints, you know, that, them praying to the different saints. Again, this is just what they did is they Christianized the pagan gods of Greco-Rome and Egypt, and they, they call them the patron saints. So it's the same thing that these, these saints in the Catholic Church are there as protection. People pray to them for protection and guidance. And it's like, you know, St. Anthony's the, the saint of the impossible. Question about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I understand that in Christianity, you know, it's it's a basic rule to not have idols, or you know, not not uh, perform idolatry. But at the same time, it's like, but you idolize Jesus. So is it okay to idolize this one person, but not others, or is idolatry in general not cool? The definition, the biblical definition of idolatry is putting something or someone above God. And because Jesus is God, according oh, to Oh, I see. Right. That, not putting him, a, and he's the mediator between the Father. That's the loophole. Like, to me, I'm like, that's the loophole. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So, it's not, <laughs> now, what you're saying is what the Jews say. Hmm. Jews will say that Christians are guilty of idolatry because they don't recognize Jesus as divine. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'm really Jewish. Is that what's going on? Yeah, isn't that funny? I was so, I I was taught that. (laughs) Right. I I was taught that, why pray to a man? You know, you don't pray to him. You got to pray to God. He's one God. That was a big, very big um, thing that they taught us. Which would make sense if a person denies the divinity of Christ, then I could see that making sense. Right, because yeah, you, you'd have to think he's a guy, he's a he's a normal guy, right? Then it right, and then according to Moses, the books of Mo, the Torah, then it would be true that a Christian would be praying to an idol out because it's putting someone above God, and if they don't see right. Jesus as God, then that would exactly. be true. Yep, yep. That's a good question, Cheryl, that you asked. Okay, so I think we're good. Um. Any final, maybe we can just go around final thoughts. Sure. I mean, I don't really have any final thoughts. I think you did a good job in explaining everything. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's it. Yeah. I'm good. good. Well, okay. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll share a closing thought, you know, my closing thought would be, first of all, don't, Anything that we discussed here on this podcast, I would say, do your own research, right? I'm a firm believer of that. Um, If you question something or something doesn't make sense to you, do your own research, right? Come to your own conclusion, Um, number one. Number two, I would say that if I had to sum up in one sentence, the biggest challenge with the Roman Catholic is their, it is their biblical illiteracy. If a Roman Catholic truly wants to see God, the God of the Bible, I would say, read the Bible for yourself. Rightly divide the scriptures as we're told in 1 Timothy, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Understand who God is speaking to, what is being said to those people. Understand what part of the Bible is written to the body of Christ? And just to give you a clue, it's Romans through Philemon, the 13 letters written to Paul. So just study right division. Understand that you're not, not everything written in the Bible is written to you. That's a big one. People get tripped up on. Mm, yeah, and, and study definitely. your Bible. And, and, and look at, again, this is for Catholics who say to themselves, I do trust the Bible more than my priest. Okay. You, you have to get there. If you're not there, this is not going to make sense to you. But if you're there, then I would say challenge what the Catholic church is teaching you in the catechism and what you're being taught on Sunday at the mass, hold it up against scripture and make your own decisions. Cause I could guarantee you the Holy spirit will show all this to you crystal clear. 
discernment and we grow in discernment by growing in the, in the word of God. Outside of that, you're just going to trust the traditions of man. So I would just say that that would be my final thought. Hmm. Okay, guys. All right. So then why don't we say goodbye to our listeners and then kind of close out here. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.